The first reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 24 to 29. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your ancestors, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. The word of the Lord. Second reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, keep us in step with your Holy Spirit, for where your Spirit is, there is freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we entered the last uh, chapter of our series, and we are now invited to climb up its height. Because uh, Romans 8 has been described as the towering bastion of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, chapter 8 is all about the power and the work of the Spirit. It stands in absolute contrast to the last chapter, chapter 7, which we looked at last Sunday. That is, it portrayed the bleakness of self-preoccupation 
as a striving to live according to the demands of the law. See, last week, uh, Tim said that the law can only diagnose us, but it cannot change us. In chapter 7, Paul set out to illustrate that if, if we tried to make the law try to do what it cannot, that is, we try to change ourselves or try to change people by using the law, which it cannot do, we will live in a perpetual state of existential dissonance. That is, uh, we will always be wrestling with ourselves, doing what we hate and not doing what we love. It's a life absorbed and, and preoccupied with self-performance. See, if that's the Christian life, it's not worth living. It's impossible. It's unlivable. It's a miserable life. But here's another way. There's another way. In chapter 8 is the other way. In fact, Paul says it's the only way. This is the Christian life. And the Holy Spirit is the only one who can bulldoze the prison walls of the law that we find ourselves locked inside with ourselves, weakened by the flesh. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us out into freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, Paul wrote in another letter. So in this uh, short uh, uh, section of chapter 8, we'll be looking at just three things. Three things that the Holy Spirit frees us from. First, he frees us from condemnation. Secondly, he frees us from the flesh. And third, he frees us from death. Freedom from condemnation, freedom from the flesh, and freedom from death. So first, the Spirit frees us from condemnation. In verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word no here is emphatic. More accurately, it says that condemnation no longer exists for Christians. Condemnation is no longer a possibility. It's not even a reality for the baptized Christian. Okay, but there are still times for Christians, including myself, that whenever we screw up, we feel that God is just around the corner. We feel he's just ready to catch us slip up. And then when bad things happen, God forbid, to us, we somehow think that we're being punished for past sins. We feel like it's coming to us. If we did something bad and wrong, suddenly there's going to be something that comes to swiftly punish us or to do us right. It's some kind of Christian karma that we believe. Or when we slip up, we even condemn ourselves. We condemn ourselves. For those of us who are self-critical, when we fail, we often lock ourselves into this mental, imaginary penalty box emotionally. We need to stew in it. We need to feel bad for a long time, some kind of penance. And we need to prove ourselves that we're sorry, that we make it right with ourselves, or we want to make it right with God or with others. We need to pay for it. No, says Paul, there is no more. No more condemnation, no more penalty boxes, no more penance, no more judgment. There's nothing for God to be mad about us, concerning us now or ever. So how can we then condemn ourselves or stay mad at ourselves? 
Condemnation no longer exists. How is that even possible? Why is there no more condemnation? In verse 3, by God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. This is a case of double jeopardy. In Canada, people are protected by the Charter of Rights and Freedoms against double jeopardy. That is of being prosecuted, again, for substantially the same crime. Now, theologically, Christians cannot be prosecuted and condemned for crimes that have already been convicted and judged in the flesh of Jesus Christ on the cross. So Christians are free to go. There's no more prosecution looming. There is no backlog in the city system that will need to come in late for paperwork, show up for court. There won't be anything like that. No more condemnation. Justice was served on the cross when Jesus died instead of us. And in another sense, on that cross, condemnation itself has been condemned. You can think of it this way. The cross was God's reverse uno card. On the cross, death ends up killing itself. Sin implodes within itself, self-destruction, self-destructs, condemnation condemns itself. And so there's no more possibility or the reality of condemnation. It no longer exists for the Christian. Okay, all, all good. I can, I can see that theoretically again, but we feel condemned. Those feelings are very real. They're still so powerful. They hold sway to our lives. And we feel them from others. We feel them from ourselves. How do we deal with it? Paul invites us Christians to live into another reality that the Spirit of God has brought into existence when it never existed before. See, there is the old reality of the law, and that's about condemnation. That's about performance. You got to do, do, do. Prove yourself. But then there's this new reality that comes into existence by the Spirit once we believe in Jesus. And this is freedom and peace and life and forgiveness and grace. This is where we come to our second point. The Spirit of God frees us from the flesh. The Spirit of God frees us from the flesh. Uh, Flesh is Paul's summarizing word. That means the corrupted aspects of our humanity. See, the bits and pieces of our being that are manipulated and dominated by sin. What does that mean? I mean, we can think of flesh in this way, and if, if you don't know this about me already, I'm a science nerd, so this will be an analogy from biology. And just a heads up, it's going to be a fairly icky example, just so you know. Now, there's a kind of fungus that infects uh, insects, and literally turns them into zombies. Uh, this family of parasitic fungus are called cordyceps. If a cordyceps spore lands on an unwary victim like an ant or a moth, the spore grows inside the insect's body and begins to spread. And the fungus does this thing where it spreads chemicals out to every joint and limb and muscle and brain of the insect. Now it controls its entire being and makes the insect mysteriously locate and find a spot in the jungle or rainforest that is just the right light, the right temperature, the right humidity. And once the insect finds this right spot, it stays there forever and dies. 
and a fungus ravages it from the inside, growing out of its corpse, this fruiting body, that will then spread more spores, and the cycle continues. It's macabre. In the book of James, the apostle describes the life cycle of the flesh. Temptation conceives to desire. Desire matures into sin, then sin bears fruit to death. The cycle continues. Our humanity, according to Paul, is infected by sin. And we cannot help but do what sin tells our brains and our body parts to do. And the fruit of it all as it matures, as we give in to desires, is death. Now, that doesn't mean that we're just moral zombies. We don't, that means that we don't have personal agency of culpability. That's not what it means. It just means that sin is so intensive and extensive in each of us that the lines somehow are blurred between our own personal choice and volition and the manipulation of sin to our will. It's almost hard to comprehend and feel. We feel this often. It's like, that wasn't me. It felt like, how did this come about that I made this choice? But it's still our choice. We decided that. But somehow we're manipulated by the sin and the desires and the the different things that have pervaded us. Such is the oppression of sin. It's so complex. It's what Paul means by the flesh. I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I hate to do. Who will rescue me from this body of death infected by sin? Thanks be to God. The Spirit of God frees us from the flesh. If we continue with our analogy, the Spirit infuses Himself into our bodies and He begins to scrub us clean from the infection of sin, destroying the parasite in us, clearing us of an infestation that we cannot even see. So now, now there's another reality working in the Christian. It's no longer just the flesh. The Spirit is in us as well. So there are these two realities now at war within the Christian. In verse 5, Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And Paul distinguishes these two realities that are at war. See, the flesh rebels against God, it's hostile to God, it leads to death. But the Spirit reconciles us to God It's peace with God in it. There is life everlasting. That's the current state of affairs in the Christian, the battle between flesh and the spirit. How may we respond to this seeming dual reality within us? What part do we play in the internal battle within ourselves? Well, Paul gives us just one application, really. He says, set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. What does that mean? Now, setting our minds means minding the reality, minding the business of the Spirit, to pay attention to Him and His work. As fix your focus and be engrossed and absorbed in all of Him and who He is and the teachings of Jesus reminding you the laws of God in the Bible. 
the ways and habits of righteousness. Paul is saying to step in deeper into the new reality of our freedom from the flesh and our new obligation to the Spirit. It's all theory, but what does that mean? Now, before I married Sally Jane, my wife, I lived deep, deep into the reality of my singleness. I only set my mind on the things of the single man, how to spend my free time just for myself, how to spend money just for myself. And you know what? I'm free to do that. I had no obligation except to myself. But when I married Sally Jane, a new reality came to existence within me that never existed before the reality of the married man. I've suddenly become obligated to my wife. So then, warfare that never existed before existed, (laughs) waged inside of me. The conflict between two realities, the reality of the single man, the reality of the married man. Newlyweds go through this all the time. And I have a choice. Do I set my mind on the things of the married single man? Do I set my mind on the things of the married man? Do I spend money and eat out as much as I did? Do I stick to the budget that my wife and I sat down many times to stick to? Do I stay up all night binge-watching on TV shows? Or do I go to bed on time? Do I make decisions on my own? Or do I consult and collaborate and work it out hard with my wife on decisions? If I keep choosing to set my mind, to mind my business, and the things of the single man, I will eventually kill my marriage. It will lead to the death of my marriage. If I keep choosing to set my mind on the things of the married man, there is another thing happening too. Something has to die, that is my single man in me. Something has to die and something has to live. Those two realities cannot coexist. Setting my mind on my marriage means pressing deep into my marital vows that I made in public. Into my love my wife and I have made and have promised for each other. The more I live into my marriage, the old reality of the single man in me weakens, diminishes, and dies away. I slowly die to my signalness. I slowly become alive to my marriage. My love increases, my affection increases, my obligation and yearning for my wife increase, and no longer just for myself. Paul says in verse 9, You, Christian, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit has freed us from the flesh. We're no longer obligated to mind the business of your flesh. We're free to mind the business of the Spirit in us. You don't have to hold a grudge on someone or plan out how to exact revenge on someone who hurt us. You don't have to do that anymore. We are free to forgive, to bless and pray for your enemies. We're free to do that. As hard as it is, we are free to do that. We don't have to maximize profit, hoard all your possessions. You're free to give them away. You're free to be generous. You can do that. You're free not to be gratifying our selfish desires just to feel good, just for another hit. 
We are free now to prioritize the needs of others, even if it costs us, even if it's uncomfortable. We're free to do that. The Spirit has freed us from the flesh. Mind the business of the Spirit. Set your minds, set our minds into the Spirit. Third and last point. The Spirit frees us from death. Frees us from death. In verse 11. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. Right, that's resurrection. We all believe in that. We're Christians. We say that every week. But Christians often treat this promise of resurrection as something in the far distant future or for after we die, right? We treat it like the inheritance money we will get, we may get, but it's a long time from now. We don't have access to it yet, so we're not even thinking about it. You know, it's just looming out there, we'll look forward to it. It has no impact on us at the present. But in fact, resurrection starts here and now. It starts here and now. Because later in the chapter in Romans 8, Paul will unpack what it means to be new creation today. To be people who live the resurrection even now in this life. And this means, among many other things, there's a lot of what that means. It just means that Christians should not be in the business of death. Christians are no longer to be about in the business and culture of death if the Spirit has freed us from death. What do I mean? There are industries, structures, and cultures and subcultures and policies right now that contribute to the business and culture of death in our society. Not just to our humanity, but to the planet. And many of these issues that I'm going to be listing are highly, highly incendiary and explosively controversial. For example, there is the issue of medically assisted deaths, abortion on demand, elderly neglect and abuse, which we saw unfold, especially in the height of COVID. It's the issue of ecological catastrophes due to anthropogenic causes, over-extraction contributing to climate change, the surge of preventable diseases, especially heart diseases, because of unsustainable diets and overconsumption, on and on and on. These are issues that are difficult to talk about and to tackle, but they directly relate to our bodies, to the death and decay of our bodies, and to the death and decay of the planet. What do we do as Christians engulfed by what feels like this global commerce and industry of death? There's no easy button to press, no. But we are called as Christians to face them head on as people of the resurrection. Just as Jesus stared right into the face of death, into his eyes, and went straight into the belly and gut of death. And in that belly, he conquered death. And so are we as Christians. We are in the midst of death. But we bear the light and life of Jesus Christ. We are in the midst of death, but we are called to bear the light and life of Jesus Christ. It's precisely for that that the Spirit has freed us from the death that we can pierce through the teeth and gears of death. 
we should not then be afraid or be discouraged by these colossal issues of our times. Rather, we can talk about them. We can start there by talking about them. Be uncomfortable. Be deliberate. Be attentive. Have these conversations with people, especially with people who have suffered in them and through them, who have experienced them. We listen and we learn. Be curious. Ask questions. We don't know everything. I don't know everything. We ask questions. And then make changes to your buying, investing, and voting decisions. At the least, at the least, let us be the presence of God's life and light to those who are sitting in darkness and wallowing in death. And if it's, if it's in our power to rescue those near the precipice, about to plunge headlong into death or harm, who are spiraling down, who are spiraling out at the brink of suicide, of depression, of self-harm or harming others, of wasteful and abusive behavior, those who are apathetic, those who are careless, those who are being victimized by policies and perpetrators, we pull them out In the name of Jesus. We call them out in the name of Jesus. We extend our hands. We extend our hearts. We give life and light. We give justice. We give mercy. This is resurrection now. Eternal life now is to know him who sent Jesus Christ. To know him now. New creation here and now. The Spirit frees us from death at this moment. And so let us not... It's no longer contribute to the world's business and culture of death. Instead, we're called to the business and the culture of life, to cultivate life for the here and now, life for future generations, for your kids, for your grandkids, an earth and a planet that sustains and flourishes all of us, confident in the sure and certain hope that life is, in fact, embodied and forever. And it's not just the resurrection of our bodies, but the resurrection of the world. What you're touching will be resurrected. The Spirit of God has come upon us. He frees us from condemnation, from the flesh, and from death. We're invited to keep in step to the rhythm, the marching orders, to the drumbeat of the Spirit who lives fully, unashamedly inside of you. Let's keep in step to this new reality. Keep in step with new creation. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, where He is hovering, He is giving life. He is bringing new creation. And there, in fact, is freedom. There's freedom. Thanks be to God. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.